0: Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Protect
2: your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at amfam.com. Products
1: not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit MFM.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.
0: For theater lovers, the Encores series at City Center has become a beloved annual tradition. Bringing back musicals that we may not know but should... It's been responsible for breathing new life into forgotten works, revealing new dimensions to performers we thought we knew, and offering audiences the chance to see shows that may no longer be economically feasible to mount for full runs. And casting director Jay Bender has been at the center of it all since it first began in 1994. Now, he's telling tales about casting those shows. I'm your host, Mark Pikert, and you're listening to Jay Bender, A Life in Casting, Encores. I cannot begin to tell you what the Encores series has meant to me in particular, but certainly theater lovers in my, in my very theater-centric circle.
1: Oh, I'm so honored, and I'm so honored to have been a part of it
0: from the very beginning. So what was the impetus behind mounting the first Encores season? The mastermind was
1: the President
0: uh, and CEO of City Center uh, in
1: 1993. Uh, and I can't remember when she retired, but Judith Dakin was the driving force, and it was her idea. And she knew Rob Fisher very well uh, from the Coffee Club Orchestra. And so I was called to a meeting by the other person that has been a champion. I was called by Jack Vertell. and we had a meeting in Ted Chapin's office and it was Judith Dakin, Ted Chapin, Rob Fisher, Jack Vertell, and myself. And Judith explained what she wanted to do. And we all believed in it so strongly. And, So, eventually, it got put together uh, with, as you know, a series of artistic directors. And the first season was really a learning curve. Uh, It was really uh, exciting and difficult. Um, As you know, we started with the wonderful Ira Weitzman from Lincoln Center Theater. Uh, as the original artistic director
0: what were the what were the shows in that first season
1: well the plan was Fiorello uh, which was going to be the first show which opened uh, city center uh, which was the first uh, Fiorello h laguardia basically was responsible for having city center built uh, as a municipal auditorium uh, for the arts uh, so we opened with Fiorello Uh, And then the next one was allegro, which was a complete Experiment from rogers and hammerstein after carousel and then of course lady in the dark and so uh, Ira hired Walter uh, And we began uh, To put it together Uh, we had done Fiorello and uh, Walter and I decided to ask Jerry Zachs to return to the stage and in those days, there were music stands, tuxedos, gowns, and everybody read from the book. Uh, and Jerry Sachs and Phil Bosco and Faith Prince and Donna McKechnie were in it. It was a great success. Susan Shulman was set to direct Allegro, uh, which was the only show uh, that the orchestra was in the pit uh, in all these years. And in those days, uh, They played the dance music uh, and susan directed in a sort of documentary style uh, where um There were slides from the original production. Uh, and it was interesting Uh, but we were still forming The encores and the way they're being presented were still being formed. Uh, and so uh It was fascinating and that was the first show that christine ebersole into coming back from california to do and she and steven Bogardis and jonathan Hadari uh did allegro and when we got to lady in the dark we had to find somebody and so and we were weeks away and had no adaptation we had nothing and i called um larry carpenter who had assisted Gower Champion and who was the artistic director of American Stage Festival. And I said, can you do this? And he did. And we got Lady in the Dark onto the stage uh, very nicely. It was, that was the first season, but the first season was a real learning curve. And it really wasn't until 1995 when we opened with Call Me Madam with Time Daily uh, that, Really, encores became beloved, and we
0: had a smash hit. What was the impetus behind bringing her on for a limited run in this very, of its time, musical?
1: Well, first of all, Tyne Daly is a great actress. I mean, you know, uh, Cagney and Lacey made her a star. Uh she had done a concert version of Call Me Madam in London. And I had known about that, and she was very well received. And I said to myself, Well, you know, no one has seen her do it in America, and she's going to be a slam dunk, uh, because she can sing it, uh, she can act it, and she is a star. And She brought it all together and what a star does is leads a company and When in those days we had five performances only we had less rehearsal time than we have now Uh, they all held their books. Uh And in call me madam, I would say they held their books about 95 percent of the time there were moments when they Did not use the book, but they still held them, do you know what I mean? And they held them all the way really through Chicago. And Chicago was really the first of the encores, which was completely Walter's idea from beginning to end. Because the original mission was to do musicals that had been done in the past that really could not be revived in any way. And in 1996, well, Chicago hadn't been that far in the past, but Walter had an idea. And also we were right past OJ Simpson. Yes. And we were not, and the show was not in competition with chorus line. (laughs) And, and walter had the ability to understand How it should be adapted And what could be eliminated what could be highlighted and then uh, we got very lucky in that originally Liza minnelli Who had done chicago, you know when glenn was ill originally for fossey Liza Minelli was going to play Roxy and bb was always going to play velma at the last minute i got a call from liza's manager saying she had booked a concert in florida and had to pull out which was the luckiest thing that ever happened to chicago not to say that liza would not have been good but it would have never have transferred and it would have never you know, been as surprising, and they would have all come to see Liza. The irony was, is that Annie, God love her, hadn't been on stage in a long time, and Annie said, the show must go on, and I'll do it. We didn't audition anyone except uh, Mama Morton, uh, because all the people that we offered it to turned it down. And so I had loved, may she rest in peace again, Marsha Lewis. And Marsha came into audition. We didn't even audition the ensemble. Uh, <laughs> wow! Right. What I did with Annie was I chose the people that I wanted her to meet because I had done Jerome Robbins' Broadway, and so I brought in a group. I had a concept for the ensemble, and I wanted to cast from the youngest, hottest dancer in New York to an older, experienced dancer that had worked for Fosse, It was magic. I will never forget the very first performance uh, with Annie and Bebe and Jimmy Naughton, uh and Joel Grey uh, that, and marcia the roof came off city center i mean i've never seen anything like it in my life and fortunately uh fran and weissler and barry weissler attended i think the saturday matinee if i'm not mistaken and the rest is history it's still running yes you know and um it's a phenomenon, uh you know, all over the world. And, you know, we were very lucky the timing was right because of O.J. And also, Walter had tempered the cynicism that was very, very uh, off-putting to a lot of people during the original production because we weren't in that place yet as brilliant, as Fosse's original production was. And so we had become a bit more cynical and we had had a sense of humor about our cynicism in this country and we had also had OJ. And so it became very relevant. And also, because of William Ivy Long's collaboration with Walter, William created, as
0: he had for nine, a completely contemporary look. With the Encore series over the years, how many of the conversations regarding principal roles are offers versus auditioning?
1: Well, it's very interesting. Um, It really depended on the artistic director. Uh, With Walter, in the two years Walter um, was the artistic director, we did virtually no auditioning whatsoever. even because the casts were larger and so in the beginning the singers sang and the dancers danced just the way they did in old-fashioned musicals. So we only auditioned the singers for Rob Fisher. And we offered the dancers because don't forget, I mean, as far as Call Me Madam, that was the first show that Kathleen Marshall actually, you know, choreographed in New York. Uh, And um, you know, Chris Chadman had done Fiorello. Uh so you know, we really didn't audition dancers. Uh, we only auditioned singers and only we only auditioned principals if we were stuck. When Kathleen, you know, uh assumed the artistic directorship. Again, you know, Kathleen and Rob Fisher and I would sit down and we would determine. Who we wanted to offer it to and who we felt would be excellent. And we made the offers. Um, it really wasn't until Jack became our artistic director that, and also by then, the sh- productions had really begun to grow. They were really becoming far more fully produced. Their John Lee. Uh, was doing fantastic suggestive scenery. They were fully costumed. We were out of um, tuxedos and gowns, uh, and we were into costumes. Everything was fully choreographed. There was a separate singing ensemble, and there was a separate dancing ensemble. The other encore that was very special for me in so many ways was Promises Promises, uh, because it involved Neil, and neil had given me proxy because neil you know wanted to make sure that he had approval and kathleen was the artistic director and rob robbie directed and choreographed it and that collaboration was magical i had suggested marty short because of goodbye girl robbie wasn't completely sure but he trusted me carrie o'malley uh was a terrific friend uh Terry Mann uh you know played uh the uh Fred McMurray part from the film. Uh and uh we were so lucky uh in that Neil and uh how David wanted to put back a number for the secretary and that was cut out of town and jennifer lewis who i was a huge fan of Mm. and so there's one of the few times when a new number was put into an existing encores uh, and that was a duet between carrie o'malley and jennifer lewis which stopped the show and also gave us the opportunity to have jennifer lewis and rob marshall's work was amazing and Baransky, listen Baransky and marty short together uh was in one of the funniest scenes that neil's ever written was pure magic and neil got there late uh he didn't come for rehearsals but he came i think the day before dress rehearsal and we were still long and neil said to robbie wait a second i need to cut about 25 minutes from this so neil took the script sat on the steps leading to the mezzanine uh, of city center and in about 10 minutes and a red pencil cut exact the exact amount of time and handed the script back to robbie wow
0: yeah it was magic. It's a testament to you as well that Baransky did this because she was still in California well, filming Sybil, right?
1: Well, you know, I don't remember, but Baransky. listen, here's the thing. I knew Marty and Baransky would say yes without even asking them because of their relationship with Neil. And they loved Neil. Truly loved him. So that was easy. You know, uh, casting that was almost instant
0: what were the hardest encores to cast because you as the encore series progressed you came up against some uh iconic casts from from the originals i think the
1: one that frightened me there were several but follies directed brilliantly i must say by casey nicolau i mean brilliantly and this is uh after paper mill and after the broadway revival Casey understood it thoroughly and it was very difficult because I had so much to live up to because I had seen the original production of Follies several times uh and we were just damn lucky that Victor Garber we had asked to do it we waited for victor for about a month because whether his pilot was going to get picked up i'll never forget the weight do you know what i mean but you know (laughs) (laughs) we were we were at a studio auditioning uh and i got the phone call from uh victor's uh manager saying the pilot's not picked up he's doing it we always knew it was going to be vicky clark Uh, We always knew it was going to be Donna and we always knew it was going to be Michael McGraw we auditioned for the younger ones uh, and God love Mark Sendroff When we got into the older babes I had had the idea of Mimi Hines because I had originally seen Mimi Hines replace Barbara Streisand in Funny Girl I called and uh, Casey really didn't know who Mimi Hines was and so I called Mark Sandroff uh, who is Close to Mimi Hines and Mark sent me and sent Casey a video Of Mimi Hines in florida Very recently doing her club act god knows where so Casey took one look at that and suddenly we had broadway baby uh, joanne worley uh was a slam dunk uh i called you know casey loved the idea and i called joanne and she said listen i want to do this but i want to let you know right now i do not tap so, <laughs> so i so i called casey and i said listen she wants to do it but she doesn't tap and he said don't worry about it and if you watch on youtube casey's version of who's that woman he does it so brilliantly in the time he had they're not all on stage all the time the way they were originally and the way they have been in every other production he breaks it up into he starts with everybody she leaves he then has certain sections with the people like dotty stanley you know and you know and people that could really tap and he merges them together and you never are aware that there's not everybody on the stage and you're never aware that joanna's left or that she comes back and so that was part of casey's genius um and it was magical i was very you know uh excited about anyone can whistle all it's so funny so many of these are Casey's shows. Angela Lansbury, not that anyone saw it. If in eight performances, as Arthur Lawrence said, if all the people that claim that they had seen the original anyone whistle, it would be running today. But Donna Murphy was a no brainer. Uh, Sutton Foster, you know, had done drowsy for Casey. That was a no brainer. Uh, I had asked Raul to do it, uh, which was a no brainer. we, I made lists for, uh, the henchmen, uh, and, uh, Casey chose who he wanted, uh, the fabulous Edward Hibbert. Other things that were very daunting for me, Grand Hotel was incredibly daunting. Again, I had worked with Tommy Toon on a show that never came in. Um, I loved Tommy. We'd done a workshop. Of Easter Parade and we had done a show at the Goodman that never came in. The responsibility of Michael Cheater.
0: I was going to say that is one of when you talk about coming up against the legacy of iconic performances, that is one of the Tony's performances that is most frequently cited as the greatest of all time.
1: Well, you know, and and you know, David James Carroll may he rest in peace. Uh I mean. Jane Krakowski, I mean uh Leon Montevecchi. I mean it was an I Karen Acres, it was an iconic cast of its day. And what I did was we went through a lot of very careful casting uh for uh David James Carroll and Brent Barrett's role very carefully, and James Snyder came in and just N- nailed it out of the park. Out of the park. And um, we had originally cast um, one Flemption, and then we had to go to another Flemption, who turned out to be brilliant. And But the thing I had in my mind from the very beginning was Brandon Uranowitz mm-hmm. uh, playing Michael Jeter's role. Because I knew that Brandon had every single capability and sensibility to play this role. And I knew that he was transformational. Uh, And while he might, in real life, have been a bit young, uh, Mike Nichols said one thing to me many years ago, I was concerned that Mark Nelson was too young to play opposite Christine Baranski in Rumors. And Mike Nichols said, is he good? I said, he's terrific. He said, Jay, trust me, if he's good, the audience will believe that he's the right age for Christine Baranski. And don't worry about it. So if an actor is really good, the audience will believe whatever the rules that you set are. And when Brandon was in my head, and he, they weren't sure how well he moved. I knew he moved very well. He came in because, you know, when an actor really wants something, they'll audition. Uh, and he came in, and he auditioned, uh, and he moved beautifully, and we cast Brandon. And Josh had worked with Natasha Diaz uh, and got along and understood Natasha uh, deeply, and they had a great trust with each other. And Natasha was the right answer to play uh, Karen Akers' part.
0: Well, that's, I wanted to, as you're talking about Brandon Uranowitz, I wanted to ask how do you navigate the line between finding the perfect performer who is not a name for an encore show versus maybe the show is lesser known? And so, in order to maintain momentum with it or draw up interest you you need to turn to someone who's maybe a little bit better known well we were really lucky
2: you
1: know until really you know in mid 2000s we didn't need names the 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 series sold itself and we didn't think about that and we didn't worry about it uh if there you know if there was a name that presented themselves as the best choice and they wanted to do it we did it you know but as the theater and the world changed you know but the good news is for the mo- for really the entire series i've hired and we've hired theater actors because even when we went to more performances and a longer rehearsal period if you're not a stage actor, you can't do this. This is, as Walter used to say, this is summer stock with the A-Team. I don't want to forget one of the great, great contributors to the success of this uh, series was David Ives. David Ives, for many years, did the concert adaptations. Uh, we were also very lucky to be blessed with John Wideman and John Guare and Jack Fertell. But David really... Um, Was so important to trimming down these musicals. And what was fascinating about each one, the ones that weren't hits could play like hits because all the excess was cut. When we went to do Little Me, which made me very nervous because, you know, Sid Caesar playing, you know, seven roles, you know, well, obviously it's
0: Kristen Borrell. Yes, but what I wanted to talk about as well, and you just gave me a perfect segue, so thank you for that. There are a handful of performers that I think of when I think of the best of encores. And one of them is Rachel York. Ah. And in in particular, what I most wanted to discuss with you was the production of Gentlemen Prefer Blondes starring Megan Hilty in one of the great musical comedy performances that not enough people saw that should have transferred But the revelation in that production was Rachel York as Dorothy. It was, for my money,
1: it was a no-brainer. And for John Rando's money, it was a no-brainer. John had done a workshop years ago with Rachel, uh, so he knew her. Uh, She came in, she auditioned, and she was absolute dynamite. The irony is, is that John and Jack weren't really familiar with Megan Hilty. And she was, as far as I was concerned, she was the only person uh, that would be able to not be Marilyn, even though she was playing Marilyn, in a way, uh, in Smash, and not be Carol Channing, but create and so fortunately she wanted to do it I called her agent and I said would she have lunch and she had lunch with John Rando and Jack Vitone and myself and they fell in love and Megan said yes and once I knew I had Megan I had to find the right pairing I had to find the right woman and Rachel was the person that could play the second part and not Feel that she was the heir and the spare, as it were.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes. What were the other performers that you were most proud to get into these classic shows?
1: Santino. I mean, Santino in 1776, which I really do want to touch on, to ask Gary Hines to do a modern dress version of 1776 was just a great choice and it took forever to cast
0: yeah it's it's a big show
1: well it's a big show and it's a difficult show and you know gary was only here for a very short amount of time we did and thank god for technology we did endless tape auditions endless 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 and but we were so incredibly lucky to gather that cast. But Santino uh, and Bryce, uh, Bryce Binkham? Yes. Every single person in that cast was spot on. And the fact that it worked in modern dress just knocked me over. I was completely surprised. I mean, and the fact that John Lee Beatty Another without John Lee, you know, uh, he created Encores, and John Lee's set um, that was backed with mirrors. The final moment, you know, which is usually the scrim bleeding through, and you've got the recreation of the exact, you know, photograph, you know, the exact etching of the signers, which you know is you know sends chills up and down your spine. Well, we couldn't do that at Encores, and it was modern dress. But to then reflect them all in that pose in the mirror was even, in in this day and age, even more effective. I mean, that was one of the great, great joys.
0: I have one specific show that I want to discuss because I can only imagine how much fun it was to make these asks. And that is the review, Hey, Look Me Over, where you got to bring in performers to sing the hell out of a bunch of great 11 o'clock numbers
1: that was a joy it was an absolute joy uh and it was it was easy we just you know went through lists and we just picked the very best people uh and we had the greatest time and vanessa's agent called me and said she wants to participate uh you know and so we added jamaica and it was It was challenging and fun. And I think that, you know, we, in the main, were pretty
0: damn successful. Well, and the revelation from that show, I think for me and for a lot of people, was Alexander Socia banishing all memories of Bernadette Peters as Mabel Normand.
1: Well, that's why we got the rights to do Mac and Mabel, because the estates saw that production. And they gave us the rights if Alex and Douglas would play it.
0: Oh, wow. I did not know that.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that was thrilling. So many of these shows on their different levels require smart actors. I mean, Can Can is not, you know, uh, a Pulitzer Prize winning musical by any stretch of the imagination. But Patty Lapone took that part by the scruff of the neck and carried that show in a red dress as if it were the greatest part and, you know, ever written for a female. I mean, it was amazing.
0: All right, Jack Viertel, thank you so much for chatting with us. Having spoken to Jay as much as I have, what I most want to know from you, working with him for so many years at Encores, what is it like to be in an audition room watching Jay Bender work?
2: Um, it, it's, uh, he's very intense and, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and quite private and, and focused while someone is auditioning. And I think sets a good example for other, you know, the, 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 the deeper we've gone into this modern world, the more people are inclined to be checking their messages and, uh, until the last minute. And in some cases, even while someone's auditioning, Jay is focused. Jay is, Jay has got his eyes and his ears entirely on that person who's performing. I think it's partly a professional thing and I think it's partly a genuine love of performers. And in addition to that, a pure understanding of how difficult it is to audition, how potentially disappointing or, you know, how much you think you didn't do your best job or whatever, Jay is there for the performer.
0: Ultimately, how many encore shows have the two of you worked on together?
2: Um, however, however many, well, yeah, I really started 20 years ago, so it would have been officially 60 encores, three, uh, summer stars productions and a couple of, a few galas, but we didn't do the last two encores this year because of, uh, COVID-19. So it's, it's, it's something over 60.
0: Just a casual sixty productions. Uh, what what is your working relationship been like as you as you assemble these casts?
2: Oh, it's been it's been very enjoyable uh, and uh, very chatty. Very lots of the thing about Jay and Encores to me. The essential thing about Jay and Encores is Jay knows these shows backwards and forwards. And if he doesn't know the show backwards and forwards, he knows eight other shows that were produced during that same season. So in terms of style, in terms of being able to, to take the audience on a time machine, he's got that. And he knows which performers uh, um, have that in their bones and which ones really don't, however wonderful they may be at doing other things. And I think he has, as much or more than anyone, steered the ship toward keeping our, keeping our uh, productions in line with the original work. And I don't think there's anyone else who could do that in that way. Thank you, Jack. I mean, you know, Jay, when someone's going to deliver a certain kind of number, you know, a a, a second act showstopper from 1950 uh, in a way that the 1950 audience would have gone berserk over. And somehow that translates to our audience and and the same thing
0: happens. Jay, as someone who knows musical theater history as, as well and as deeply as you do, were there seasons where you suggested shows to Jack? Were the two of you in communication about what the season would be comprised of? Jack has been
1: terrific in that we always discuss Jack between the collaboration between Rob Berman, uh, Jack, and myself. Jack always calls me, and he always confers with Rob. Uh, Rob is uh, essential because you know it's part of Uh, The reason that Jack chooses the shows but once the shows are chosen Jack and I have very, you know uh, Often, you know have several conversations uh, Throwing back ideas at one another and concepts and what the characters are about and what you know, Jack uh, wants to achieve The director wants to achieve. I mean, you know, and that's the joy of our collaboration I don't forget jack and I go way back Uh to not only the beginnings of encores, but we've also done several broadway shows together So it's it's again one of the guiding forces of my career
2: I mean one of the one of the uh, Sort of sparked moments in in our collaboration. I think was that jay called me uh at some point and said, you know if Patty Lapone wants to do Can Can, we should do Can Can. If she doesn't want to do Can Can, we shouldn't do Can Can. This is <laughs> frankly not a good enough show, uh, but it will be with her in it. And I thought, what a great way to think about something, you know? And so I called Patty's agent and, and said those very words. I probably took credit for them as well. <laughs> um, and and Patty said, she, she, lo- she looked at the score and she said, yeah, I'd love to do this part. And she tore the place apart because it was just perfect casting in an imperfect show.
0: Well, Jack, I wanted to ask, as someone who's worked this many, low these many years with Jay, and especially with encores, which often reveals a different side to a performer than what we might expect from them. Who were the performers that Jay brought in that you thought I don't know, and then ultimately they blew you away?
2: <laughs> we've we both that uh, we have a we have a uh, we, we have a slightly private language about that. Uh, because, because there are performers that each of us have not particularly responded to in other circumstances, but the other one has. And so Jay has said, I mean, I, I, don't feel comfortable naming names, but Jay has said, no, you know, she can really do this. And I've said, I don't know. I didn't like her in such and such, you know, and, and, uh, it's gone both ways. We've surprised each other in, in some ways. Jack right. taught me the best expression and I've used it
1: ever since, uh, choose your hill to die on.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there are certain, there are certain fights that aren't worth winning. Um, and sometimes they've been situations where both of us have felt, well, this isn't really the right performer for this role, but you know, it's not worth fighting. It's not that big a role or for whatever reason, it's, that we have, we have bigger fish to fry on this show. And that performer has turned out to be fantastic in the show. So, um, you know, we've both been geniuses and idiots at the same time.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, I think my only other question is, is there a show or maybe a handful of shows that you can point to that say, this is is as close to perfect, as close to a perfect fulfillment of the mission statement of Encores as we could get? I think that... Follies was as close
1: to perfection as we can get. Anyone can whistle. I think that I was incredibly proud, as I know you were, of yep. Superman. I think that we were incredibly proud of Little Me.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think that's true. And it, but it, it points to, some, you know, the, the show business expression is casting is everything. But uh, I think of it backwards also, which is everything is casting. Choosing a director is casting. Choosing designers is casting. And choosing a casting director is casting. So, uh, you know, what what Jay has brought to this is that absolute commitment to the the, the loyalty to have incandescent performers, but ones who are, are right for that particular show in that particular era, as I said. And so it's, it's, it's been that combination. I would mention one other show, which is a show we really put together out of whole cloth, which is called Porter's The New Yorkers, where we right. didn't have a star in it. There were no stars in it, but it was so perfectly cast and so perfectly brought off by John Rando, the director, uh, that it, it lit up audience, a show they had never heard of, lit up an audience completely. They were on their feet screaming at the end. And uh, it's a tribute to knowing exactly who those crazy 1930s heiresses and bootleggers and gangsters are and being able to find the perfect actors to play them, even though none of them, you know, was someone whose name you would put above a marquee, you know, on a marquee.
1: Well, all I can say is, Jack, I cannot thank you enough for the opportunities that you have given me and the collaboration that we have had. Thank you for taking the chances and thank you for the trust. And and now, you know, we've added a chapter to everything you wanted to know about casting encores, but we're <laughs> afraid to ask. <laughs> well, so
2: Jay, the thanks is returned in, in double and triple fold because I couldn't have done this without you and you know no. I couldn't have done it without you. And, 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 and likewise.
0: This is Jay Bender, a life in casting, a podcast from RWS Entertainment Group and Bender Casting in association with the Broadway Podcast Network, starring Jay Bender, hosted by Mark Pikert, produced and directed by Mark Brandon and Kyle Coker, with executive producer Ryan Stanna, consulting producers Joe Christopher and Abby Buell, artwork by Justin Squiggs-Robertson, marketing concept by Kevin Lau, marketing content by Amy Cannon, edited by Derek Gunther, and a special thanks to guest star Jack Viertel.